All right, welcome back to another edition of Baseball Banter. I'm your host, Justin Gianelli, on this Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. Uh, we did promise yesterday there'd be a doubleheader of episodes. We did not quite get a chance to play that, uh, record that second episode. Uh, so here we are tonight. And the main theme of this episode is obviously back to recapping, you know, what was going on around the league. And, you know, this weekend had some really important series. Um, Two notables were the L.A. Dodgers against the San Diego Padres and the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves. And the Dodgers end up sweeping the three-game series from the Padres. And, And the Padres have really struggled um, out of the gate since the Juan Soto Josh Bell acquisition, you know. But obviously, you know, uh, there's really not reason to worry. They're going to be fine. But right now, they've dropped into that third wild card spot. Uh, they're a game behind the Philadelphia uh, Phillies. So, you know, it, it is time to question, you know, how good they actually could be. And you know, obviously, we haven't seen Fernando Tatis Jr. yet. You know, he's yet to play this season. But, you know, when they get him back, I mean, that's going to be an incredibly scary lineup. Uh, You know, they're taking on the Padres tonight. Joe Musgrove against Alex Cobb. Um, And for the Dodgers, they're hosting the Minnesota Twins, who are in first place in the American League Central uh, with a 57-51 record. And, you know... They continue on this incredible pace. They're seventy-five and thirty-three. They're forty-two games over five hundred. Um, they're on pace for like a hundred and eleven, hundred and twelve wins. I mean, it's just utterly ridiculous how good the Los Angeles Dodgers are. So, you know, you, we'll see where those two teams go as they split off now. Before they, you know, they still play again a few times, but you know, we'll see over the next coming days where they end up. Um, as for the other series, the Mets against the Braves, the Braves are right now tied 5-5 with the Red Sox, and they after they had an off day yesterday, the Mets are up 3-0 on the Reds, and over the weekend, the New York Mets took four out of five from the Atlanta Braves. It was five games in four days. Remember, there was a two-game series that was wiped away because of the lockout, and they had Played a doubleheader in the first series at City Field and made that a four-game series. And then they played a doubleheader on Saturday night. And in that series, you saw every pitcher for the Mets except for Chris uh, Chris Bassett. And for the Braves, you saw every pitcher except for um, Charlie Morton. And... The Mets really dominated the series. 31 runs scored, uh, 22 runs allowed. You know, the only reason why a couple of games got close is because the Met bullpen, which continues to be a concern, um, did, you know, was not able to hold some leads. Like Saturday in the first game when Edwin Diaz had to come into a game where it was 8-2 to two at the start of the ninth inning. But yet here he was entering in an 8-4 game. And then he allowed a ground out in which the runner on third scored, you know, scored. So the inherited runner scored, but 
It was a monster series, and with the win over the Reds yesterday, the Mets have extended the lead to, to seven games. The Braves are 64 and 46. The Mets are 71 and 39. And again, like I said uh, just a minute ago, the Braves are in a battle tonight against the Red Sox. A couple of things that stuck out with me from that Mets Braves series, and then we'll break down more from what I saw between the Dodgers and Padres before getting into some of the other series around baseball. The Atlanta Braves strike out more than any team in baseball. So when they go up against a staff that can record a ton of strikeouts, it's really a tough matchup for them. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna have guys that can hit a ton of home runs, you know, like Austin Riley, you know, Travis Darno can hit home runs, and even though he hasn't really done it much this year, you know, we know Ronald Acuna's got good power. Yeah, the Braves have a very good lineup, and that that's like a lineup that's missing. Uh, Ozzy Albies right now. And, well, actually right now they're now missing Travis Darno, who we saw get hurt in the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday night. But the Braves have a terrific lineup, and they got good pitching. You know, with with Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, um, Max Freed, obviously. The Braves have really good pitching. The Braves are a well-rounded bunch. But I think the Mets caught them at a good time, A, and B, kind of made the Braves play their game. And, you know, the way they were able to work pitch counts. The only pitcher for the Braves who really didn't work a high pitch count was Mike Miner. I mean, not Mike Miner. Mike Miner is the guy who started tonight for the Reds. Um, Mike, uh, Max Freed. Max Freed was able to keep his pitch count at a reasonable level for most of the night. And thank goodness he was okay because he took that nasty fall. He tried to throw home on an errant throw to first and slammed his head on the turf. He stayed in the game, finished his outing, um, and has no issues going forward. So that's good for the Braves. But, you know, guys like Kyle Wright... Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider threw 79 pitches and two and a third on Sunday. And he wants to complain. And, th- and this little coward wants to complain about how lucky the Mets are. No, it's called the Mets work good at bats. Yes, yeah, they'll, they'll get their blue pits. They're not a team that relies on the home run. I mean, I mean, all the, tonight they're going against that will, against that grain, because the Mets have three runs and two home runs, you know, accounting for the three runs. Um, with the McNeil solo homer and the Francisco Lindor two-run homer. But the Mets are not a team, I, I think I'm not mistaken, you know, they didn't, in the doubleheader Saturday and Sunday, the Mets did not hit a home run. But yet they scored five runs on Sunday. They scored eight runs in game one, and they scored six runs in game two. So it's not like this team is not scoring any runs. They're, they're scoring plenty of runs. But they're, but they're manufacturing hits. And they're able to bunch those together to create rallies. And they work the pitch count better than any team in baseball. The Mets have seen the most pitches in baseball. So they are, you know, working good at bats. 
I mean, think about what they have on their roster and what they've added since the trade deadline. You know, they had guys like uh, Brandon Nimmo and Mark Canna who are really, really good at working the count. And Pete does too because Pete, with the, with the occasional exception that he could go after a bad slider out of the strike zone, Pete doesn't chase his pitch. Pete, Pete doesn't chase a lot of bad pitches. You know, Lindor has started to, you know, it, you know decrease his chase rate. So it'll it forces pitchers to throw more to throw more because you know it's not a quick one two. You know, the, the, the rare exceptions, a guy like Jeff McNeil, who if he sees a he sees a first pitch fastball right down the middle or first pitch anything in the strike zone, he's gonna go take a rip at it. But the thing is they worked the count. And oh, by the way, they added Daniel Vogelbach to the lineup. And Daniel Vogelbach has done a good job wor- uh, you know, working counts, walking, and getting timely hits. So he is just fit right in with the rest of this offense. And you know, forcing a starter to be done after four or five innings because they throw 80, 90 pitches in that short amount of time. And I think that's the biggest reason for success because when you force the pitcher to make extra pitches, there's a every there's a every bit chance what, that they're going to hang one and they're going to leave a breaking ball in the middle of the plate. They're going to throw a fastball down the middle because they miss with location. So, just that alone has really propelled this Mets offense. You know, and currently they're riding a four-game winning streak. We'll see if it goes to five. They're, again, they're up three, three nothing on the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Well, the Braves are tied, but it kind of just. Uh, well, you want to be respectful to the Braves because they're the World Champions. They won last year. Um, and they're a very good baseball team. I just mentioned all the strengths in on their roster. And I think they have a better bullpen than the Mets. The Mets bullpen still scares me. But the overall construction of the team, the Mets are really, really good. And what I mentioned about the the strikeout issues really reared its ugly head in the final two games of the series. You know, Saturday Saturday night and Sunday. After you got a good, a very solid performance from David Peterson in the day game on Saturday, it was Max Scherzer time at night. And Max Scherzer went seven innings, allowed, um, I believe you, I believe it was five hits. I'm getting the box score up right now, but eleven strikeouts over seven innings, and. You know, Max Scherzer was just on, on top of his game and getting the getting the swings and misses, four hits, no runs, eleven strikeouts. And then, you know, they score a couple off of Michael Gibbons and Trevor May, and that's where the six to two that's where the six to two final comes in. And, you know, Max Scher you and you thought that that performance by Max Scherzer was great. How about Sunday? For the first time in exactly 13 months, 
Jacob deGrom took the city field hill. He you know, returned on Tuesday to, fa- to face the Washington Nationals. Very solid performance. Allowed one run over five. And, you know, was throwing as good, as hard as he was before he got hurt. Jacob deGrom comes back and starts off with five and two-thirds perfect innings before allowing a walk to Aire Adrianza and then the two-run home run to Dansby Swanson. That was all he would allow on the day. The Mets would win 5-2 to two on Sunday. Jacob deGrom, 12 strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings. 12 of his 17 outs were strikeouts. I mean, it was just utterly ridiculous. He struck out... Um, he struck out one batter on a 102-mile-per-hour fastball, and I believe it was Austin Riley who struck out on a 95.7-mile-per-hour slider. Round that up for a second to 96. A 96-mile-per-hour slider. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Uh, It's just incredible the velocity Jake throws with, and that's what kind of scares you a little bit. But I guess if anybody knows his body, it's him. And to be able to throw 101, 100, occasionally a 102, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And Jacob DeGrom was totally unhittable in this game. Absolutely unhittable. And then, of course, you got the Edwin Diaz save. And how great has Edwin Diaz been this year? I mean, can I don't know if I could think of another athlete in New York who has made the turnaround that Edwin Diaz has made. He strikes out the side on like 11 pitches. And, I'm sorry, 14 pitches. He strikes out the side, three up, three down, three strikeouts, culminating a 19 strikeout performance by Met Pitching. You know, and it should not be lost. The two and a third scoreless innings from Joely Rodriguez, who has had who has had his share of struggles out of the bullpen. But he gave the Mets what they needed with the lack of relievers available. And then Edwin Diaz. But just think about it. How how many athletes go from being one of the biggest villains to to a fan favorite? You know, and span and to have four years of, of of chances, because that 2019 season by Edwin Diaz might might be the worst season a reliever could possibly have. I mean, it was as bad as it gets. I mean, his ERA was over five. I mean, he blew save after save. I mean, you still I still have nightmares. Of that September evening at uh, at Nationals Park, and I'm still scarred from last year at Nationals Park. I was at I was at Nationals Park last year to see Mets and Nationals, and Diaz. I, I can't remember if it was a one or a two run lead, but Diaz blows the save, and the Mets end up losing on a walk off. And even then, when he was having a, a, an okay year last year, he had a, he had a solid year. But 
you know, a three four five ERA, but you just didn't trust Edwin Diaz. You know, he had a five fifty nine ERA, twenty six saves in his in his first season in New York, allowed a hit per inning, fifty eight hits in fifty eight innings, a whip of one point three eight. You can't have a one point three eight whip when you're pitching one inning and when you're pitching one inning a night. Now I know I know he's you know, he's had a couple of four or five out saves this year and also actually had a six out save. But this year, the turnaround of Edwin Diaz has been absolutely remarkable. And you know, he I I'm not saying he he's deserve he deserves to win it, but he certainly deserves votes for the Cy Young Award this year. Now, there's been some great pitchers in the National League this year. You know, Sandy Alcantara, uh, you know, most noted. But where would the Mets be without Edwin Diaz? You know, and for his consistency out of the bullpen, you know, this year has 91 strikeouts in 45 and a third innings. That's 91 of the 172 batters he's faced. It's utterly ridiculous. And he is eight strikeouts shy from matching his Mets career high. If you look at his career, his career high was that dominant 2018 season in which the Mets ended up, where the Mets ended up trading for him the next that offseason. 57 saves, 124 strikeouts in 73 and a third innings. That's, that's the closer the Mets traded for. And that's the closer that has showed up this year. And I think there's every chance he could blow by that 124 strikeouts. His first year, he struck out 99 batters. So, I mean, still, his K's per nine, 15.4, kind of aligned with where he was. But this year, a K per nine of 18.1, which is just utterly filthy. And I know you can't project that actually out over nine innings because he's a reliever who mainly pitches one inning a night. But he's allowed 27 hits, just 12 walks. I mean, his control has been incredible. And he's found another gear with that slider where it is... I would. I was gonna say it's the most unhittable slider in baseball, but then you watch Jacob Degrom and that slider is filthy. How about the stat that the first eighteen sliders that Braves hitters swung at were swung and missed? He got swings and misses on eighteen sliders. It ended up being eighteen out of twenty sliders thrown. In which uh, Jacob DeGrom got a swing and miss on. Which is just utterly ridiculous. I mean, again, find me a, you know, we all want him to stay healthy. We all want Jacob DeGrom to stay healthy. But find me a better pitcher in baseball than Jacob DeGrom. He has reminded us over these first couple starts who he is, and who he's been over the last five seasons. Unfortunately, last year's season was cut short. It was a historic first half 
He was 7-2 with a 1.08 ERA, a whip of .55, if you could believe that. Basically a half a base runner per inning. You know, a K per nine of 14.3. Had 146 strikeouts in 92 innings. And this year in two starts, he struck out, he struck out 18 of the 36 batters he's faced. It's it's unbelievable. It really is. Um, all I ask for is that Jacob Degrom stays healthy, because my God, he has absolutely come back to proving he's the best pitcher in baseball. He really is, and he's a treat to watch. You know, I was there Saturday. I was there Sunday. I was actually there all weekend, pretty much. I went to both games Saturday. And I went to the Sunday game because I had to be there for the Grom's return. And, you know, the standing ovation from the crowd, you know, when he took the mound. The standing ovation when Simple Man starts playing. The standing ovation every time there's two strikes. You know, cheering on a strikeout. Getting it 12 times. And giving him a standing ovation after he comes out. In the sixth inning, after giving up the home run to Dansby Swanson, I kind of like what he said in the post game. You know, part of him kind of felt basically kind of felt bad that he didn't acknowledge the crowd because they gave him a rousing ovation. We all gave him a rousing ovation, leaving the mound, but you could tell he was ticked. And you know, but that's the perfection that he expects from himself. You know, Jacob Degrom's a perfectionist. You know, he does not want to give up a run. He does not want to give up a hit. So he was, you know, clearly ticked off. And, you know, but, you know, I mentioned in the post game that he really appreciated all the love and support from the crowd. And what I've learned, what I learned on Sunday, and what I've learned throughout this week so far, I don't mean it's only Tuesday, but. You know, and I'll be in attendance for his next start on Saturday. Appreciate Jacob DeGrom because we just went 13 months without him and it sucked. Because anytime, anytime any athletes hurt, you want to appreciate them once they're healthy. Like, I think we're starting to enter this territory with Mike Trout because Mike Trout is really, you know, been bit by the injury and now it's a back condition that he might have to manage throughout the rest of his career but when you go to a game now obviously there's more chances to see Mike Trout because when he's healthy Mike Trout's in the lineup every day Jake pitches once every five days now fortunate for me as a season ticket holder as long as my work schedule lines up and I'm off from work and Jake's at City Field I'll be there you know, I'm not taking Jacob DeGrom for granted anymore. You know, he is must-see television. Or or he's must-attend event. Like, and that's one thing that's going to become tricky in the offseason as he enters free agency because he plans on opting out of his contract at the end of the season. And I think that... And I'm on the side of you got to pay him. 
I mean, I know the Mets have a lot to take care of. You know, they have Brandon Nimmo, a free agent. Edwin Diaz is a free agent at the end of the year. Um, I believe Carrasco's a free agent. No, not Carrasco. He's under contract. Um, Bassett's a free agent. Walker is a $6 million option that he's going to probably decline because he deserves more than that. He's uh, very underpaid. But you need to appreciate Jacob DeGrom when he's here. And I really want Steve Cohen to take care of him. Make him a Met for life. I understand we've gone through these issues with the injuries, but I'd rather him I'd rather him be hurt and not pitching than dominating for another team. I I, I don't know if I could live with Jacob DeGrom dominating for another team. So uh, they got to find a way to take care of him. They really do. Make him a Met for life. You know, they made the same mistakes with Tom with Tom Seaver. I, I was going to say Doc Gooden, but, you know, Doc Gooden had his own issues with, with drug use. And, you know, that, that whole thing kind of went south. But two of the greatest pitchers in the franchise history, the greatest pitcher, Tom Seaver, wore another uniform. And that's flat out unacceptable. The fact that he was traded to the Cincinnati Reds in 1977 was an absolute disgrace. And I know it was over a contract dispute, but it's a it's a disgrace to let him walk to another franchise. And then they had him again in 1983. They left him unprotected in the uh, it was like a. Some kind of free agency thing where he goes to the White Sox. But you had to protect certain players in order to keep them on your roster. And they didn't do that with Tom Seaver. And he goes to the White Sox where, co- where, where coincidentally, he wins his 300th game. Yeah, here we go. Chosen by the Chicago White Sox from the New York Mets as a free agent compensation pick. In January of 1984. And oh, by the way, Tom Seaver at Yankee Stadium ends up winning his 300th game. I mean, if that's not a punch in the nuts to Mets fans who are old enough to see Tom Seaver pitch, I mean, that that's as bad as it got. It really was. And I don't know if... I just don't know... If I could ever accept the Mets making that mistake with Jacob DeGrom. Because Jacob DeGrom is my version of Tom Seaver. And no, I mean, listen, he'll never be Tom Seaver. As great as DeGrom has been, he'll never be Tom Seaver. Because Tom Seaver is the franchise. Tom Seaver, hands down, will always be the greatest pitcher in Mets history. I I just don't know anybody can really match that. Even with the greatness of DeGrom. I don't know that he can ever live up to Tom Seaver. And I just don't want to see that mistake. So those are some of my takeaways from the Mets and Braves series. Let's get an update on the Mets are up 4 nothing now. 
after a Jeff McNeil RBI single. Uh, we got bottom seven. And actually, that game's on TBS. Not that it matters because, you know, you'll hear this later and that game will be long over. But, but for my reference, but for my reference, um, Red Sox and, and Braves are on TBS right now. It's still in a 5-5 game. As for the other series that was huge this weekend was the Dodgers and Padres. Now, we see we saw the we saw the uh, Padres make a lot of moves at the deadline. The Dodgers didn't do a whole heck of a lot. You know, they traded away Mitch White to the Blue Jays for a couple of minor leaguers. Um, kind of a, a depth thing. They're trying to, you know, clear some space up for certain guys. Um, they they got Joey Gallo. Obviously, that's nothing of significance. The Dodgers did nothing of significance at the deadline, and that's fine. You know, they're they're a, they're a great team. So, you know, them pretty much standing pat is really, you know, not a big deal. But the Padres really went all in by acquiring Juan Soto, by acquiring Josh Bell in the same deal, by acquiring Brandon Jury from the Cincinnati Reds. This team went all in to load up and try to beat the Dodgers. And, you know... It's going to be hard to come back on the Dodgers because the Dodgers have just absolutely opened up a massive lead. If I'm not mistaken, I think they started that series up 12 and a half games on the Padres. And look where it is now. There's the San Diego Padres, after getting swept, are sitting 16 back with the fact that the Actually, yeah, it was it was maybe 12 or 12 and a half games. And, you know, with Dodgers being off yesterday and the Giants knocking off the Padres, the, the Padres are 16 back in the National League West. They're 61 and 51, which is a solid record. It's better than the – it's a – actually a slightly less – slightly lower winning percentage than the um, – Cardinals who lead the NL Central. But they're ahead of the Brewers. And right now, they're actually behind the like I said, they're behind the Phillies. And they gotta kinda be they gotta be careful here. You know, they're 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 in, they're heading into dangerous territory. You know, the Brewers are still in playoff contention. They're two games back in the central. They're one game back in the wild card. You gotta be careful if you're the Padres. Now, I know they're going to get Fernando Tatis back, and we haven't seen him all season. You know, after uh, working back from the, the broken wrist, he suffered in the motorcycle accident. Um, we haven't seen Fernando Tatis this year. So, when we do, that's going to be a much better lineup. But, I mean, right now, they're just not even in the class of the Dodgers. You know, on Friday night, they lose 8-1. to one. They, The Dodgers jump on them. For four in the first. And four in the third. And they just beat up Sean Manaya And just cruising that game. Tony Gonsolin got the win. He's 13-1 now. Manaya's is 4-7-4 ERA. Really not, not, not pitching all that well. Game number two. You had an 8-3. 
eight to three win for the Dodgers, where they really tacked on late. The Padres are taking a three two lead in the fourth inning, and then the Dodgers respond in the fifth with three with three runs, and then two in the seventh, one in the eighth, they tack on. It's now eight and then eight an eight to three victory, defeating Mike Clevenger and the Padres. Chris Martin got the win there. He's three and oh. First couple appearances for He's just in his first couple appearances for the Dodgers coming over. That was one of the moves the Dodgers made as well, getting Chris Martin from the Cubs. And then Sunday, they were on Sunday Night Baseball, a 4 nothing win, an absolute shutdown performance. How about the fact that Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonsolin are combined 26-2? and Tony, uh, Tyler Anderson, 13-1 with a 2-7-2 ERA now. They knocked off Hugh Darvish, who pitched well in this game. Um, Dodgers only scored two in the third, two in the seventh. It was a 4 nothing victory. Um, Tyler Anderson, I believe, won eight innings in this one. Really just giving the Dodgers something that I don't know that they, they nearly expected. Um, I, actually, he went seven. Tyler Anderson went seven innings, two hits, one run, three strikeouts to pick up his 13th win of the year. Uh, only two runs allowed for Darvish. It was Luis Garcia that allowed the other two runs for the Padres. But the Dodgers are just a class of baseball right now. And I don't know what team can really come close to the L.A. Dodgers. You know, you look at the Houston Astros. They're playing good baseball. But, you know, can they compete with the Dodgers? I don't know that their lineup is good enough. The New York Yankees... Well, they've certainly hit a rough patch. Now, I know they won last night in Seattle, um, despite some very bad news about Matt Carpenter suffering a fractured foot uh, after fouling a pitch off of it. And, you know, they had really scuffled. They'd lost five in a row. They got swept by St. Louis over the weekend. You know, that was another big series, the Cardinals and Yankees, because the Cardinals are on fire right now. They've won seven in a row. They are now leading the National League Central. Uh, by two games over the Brewers, and they've really, you know, they looked in late June to early to mid-July. Like, from the time, late June up until the All-Star break, the Cardinals kind of looked like it's just like a middling team. You know, like they were good, but there was a lot of holes. You didn't think that the Cardinals were going to do a whole heck of a lot this year. Now the Cardinals are sitting at 60-48, and 48, and they look like a very formidable team. A formidable team that's going to be tough, a tough out in the postseason, and a team that could score runs. I mean, the Cardinals have a plus 84 run differential. They've scored 505 runs this year, as opposed to allowing 421. And it's time to buy stock in the Cardinals being good. And they took care of the Yankees this weekend. Now, the Yankees are missing some pieces right now. You know, and I'm still confused over the, the trade the trade of Jordan Montgomery. You know, you got Frankie Montas from the A's, but you trade away Montgomery. Now, it, it seemed like there was a, a deal in mind with the Marlins for Pablo Lopez that just didn't quite get done before the 6 o'clock deadline last Tuesday and 
But now it leaves a, a bit of a hole in the rotation. And you trade it for Harrison Bader, who is in a walkie boot right now because of plantar fasciitis. And, you know, we think it'll probably be mid-September by the time we see him. Um, we know, we're not sure exactly when he'll, you know, come out of the boot. But, you know, it was that was the most interesting trade of all. Even though the Yankees did make good moves at the deadline, you know, acquiring Montas, acquiring, you know, Andrew Benintendi a few days before the deadline. Actually, it was the Wednesday of Mets-Yankees. That night they got Benintendi. Although Benintendi's really struggled. Although, despite, you know, although he's ba- he bounced back last night. And we'll see how, we'll see how he fares the rest of the way. But the Yankees have played some average baseball lately. And um, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to start doing a little bit better. You know, the division's not gonna be a worry, but they're really gonna have to fight for best record in the American League. You look at the Yankees at seventy-one and thirty-nine, sitting just a game back is the Astros at seventy and forty, whereas the Mets at seventy-one and thirty-nine are, are basically six games, five or five six games behind the Dodgers. The, there's no shot. I think the Dodgers are too good. And the Dodgers have a league best plus 226 run differential. They've scored 571 and have allowed a league low 345 runs. It's utter ridiculous the, pers- the, per- the, the perfection that the Dodgers basically are. Second in the majors in runs scored. First in runs and fewest runs allowed. That's exactly why they are the way they are right now, sitting at 75 and 33. So those were the three big series of the weekend. Um, Looking ahead to this weekend, as we've got some series going on right now, uh, let's let's go around the league right. Let's go around the league actually right now. Uh, Bottom of the eighth in Kansas City, uh, you got White Sox three, and is this August 9th? Yes, it is. White Sox three and the Royals one. It must have been a, that must have been a rain delay. I thought I saw that be a four ten start. Bottom six, the Blue Jays lead five to three over the Orioles. And how about the Orioles? More wins last year than more wins this year than the last four years than in any singular season in the last four years. They played some really good baseball, and it really culminated when it started when they called up Adley, Rush, Adley Rushman, and they got some uh, they got some other great prospects on the way, and we'll see how those guys pan out. But the future is bright for the Orioles. Uh, Phillies were playing some red hot baseball and actually closing in on the Atlanta Braves for second place in the division. They lead the Marlins four to one, bottom seven, top of the seventh in city at City Field. It's now four to two. Jake Fraley had a two-run home run in this seventh inning, uh, in which Carlos Carrasco started to run into some trouble. He is now since departed the game. Michael Givens is in with two men on and two out. Boston and the Braves still tied five to five. Uh, Red Sox had a chance with Devers up with two on, two outs in the in the seventh inning, could not come through, so we remain tied there. Two outs in the top of the eighth. Nationals lead the Cubs 4-1. And my God, how bad are the Nationals? 
I know they were really bad to start the year, but they just look absolutely terrible without Josh Bell and Juan Soto. And I know you probably wouldn't have gotten much at this stage, you know, at his age. And you know, Nelson Cruz is not really having a great year. But I'm kind of surprised that on a one-year deal, they didn't trade. And that was a big, oh, there we go. Big strikeout by Michael Givens to get out of the jam. Uh, Mets, Mets hold on a two-run lead going to the bottom of the seventh inning. Um, I'm surprised that on a one-year deal, despite having, you know, a, a year where it, Nelson Cruz is starting to look 41 years old. I'm surprised they didn't get anything for him. And he signed a one-year deal. And you'd think maybe he'd want to latch onto a postseason team and not toil in the rubble that is the Nationals. I mean, a mess of a, mess of a franchise right now. From horrendous players to an ownership sale uh, pending. Um, nobody's bought the team yet, but we have heard about the Lerner family and their intention to sell. So we'll see how that plays itself out. Bottom, bottom of the sixth, uh, we have Astros 7, Rangers 5. Bottom of the sixth inning, Brewers 5, Ra- uh, Rays 2. And how about the Brewers? You know, trading away Josh Hader, I didn't quite understand it. I know he had a really bad month of July and an ERA over 12, but... I just never understood. I never understand why a first place team would make a move like that. But obviously, they they know the talent they have in Devin Williams, um, a guy who can step in and close. But it just kind of signaled to be weird. Speaking of those aforementioned red hot Cardinals, they are getting blasted tonight in the fourth inning. It is twelve nothing Rockies at Coors Field. Two outs, nobody on the bottom of the fourth inning. And then some games that are just getting underway. Um, You have the A's and Angels scoreless bottom two. The Diamondbacks with an early 1-0 lead over the Pittsburgh Pirates. 1-0 bottom two. Top of the third inning, Giants one, Padres nothing, and just getting underway. In the top of the first is Twins and Dodgers. And also just getting underway, top of the first, Yankees and Mariners. Actually, there are two finals from today. And the reason why that first game is in the eighth inning between the Royals and White Sox was because it was a doubleheader at Kauffman Stadium. The Royals defeated the White Sox 4-2. And then also you had an earlier final of the Cleveland Guardians defeating the Detroit Tigers 5-2. So that is it for this edition of Baseball Banter. Again, you can catch this on Sportswire Radio. The great Tom Bryce will put it into his system and he will play it for me. You can also find it on at wherever you get your podcast. Anchor, Apple, Spotify, I think even Google Podcasts. There's a number of different platforms that Baseball Banter appears on. Our next episode, I'm not sure if it'll be over the weekend. Probably maybe Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, we will see. And, you know, again, you can catch me Fridays on the Friday Night Sports Report. So, you know, enjoy your week and have a good night.